It's about uh, 26 or maybe 20, probably 27 years ago. I, uh, I was in my first parish. I was ordained uh, just a couple of years at that point, and I, uh, I had this interesting opportunity or invitation, um, the opportunity to go speak in these uh, group of high schools in Iowa, uh, Dubuque, Iowa. Uh, I, think it was, I think it was three Catholic high schools, so I kind of visited them all like in the course of about a, a day and a half, kind of like big school assemblies. And uh, it was a great, great experience. Uh, I had never been to that part of the country before. Um, I mean, it was really like middle America, like just farms everywhere. It was very, very cool. Uh, beautiful in a way. I mean, I, I don't think I'd want to live there, but I, it was just a great place to visit. The people, man, the people were just were so nice. Um, we got to visit, they took me to where they filmed uh, Field of Dreams. It was not far from where I was. In fact, it was right in the, near the town of one of these high schools. And uh, anyway, and I had these people who were kind of like my, uh, my hosts, my escorts. They were like, uh, it was a group, different group of groups of families that were kind of taking turns. I stayed in a hotel, but they'd, they'd pick me up, and they'd take me to one school, and then after that talk, another couple or a family would come in and take me to the next school. In between, we'd go for, for meals. And uh, on the day, the main day that I was there, we went for lunch. Uh, and we stopped at this little place. It was kind of like an outdoor luncheonette, I guess. And we're sitting on like, a picnic table outside, across the street. It's like everywhere you looked, it's just farm. It's just fields. So uh, the guy who was with me, like my host, says, uh, he pointed to this group of uh, crows, like, I don't know, like maybe a hundred of them that were flying around kind of across the street, not too far away, like kind of hovering in this weird like formation thing. And he goes, uh, you see them? And I'm like, yeah. And then he goes, uh, look down that way. And about 100 yards away, there was a water tower. And he said, do you see the crow on top of that one? You know, and I did. I wouldn't have noticed it if he hadn't pointed it out. I'm like, yeah. And he explained to me what was going on. He said, that one is keeping watch over all the others. It watches out and it warns them if there are bad guys around, if some sort of a predator, if a fox is, he said, more than anything, a fox would be, I guess, in the, uh, the cornfields, and they were dangerous. So what this guy does, he says, they find the highest place, like there's no, no trees there, there's little farms. So he went to this big water tower, and he just sits up there and he watches kind of keeps an eye out, and if a fox comes by or whatever is dangerous comes by, it sends out a, like a warning, like, you know, like, call, 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 you know, like a, uh, crows do their thing, that's what they do. Uh, and that alerts them, and then they take off. So he's kind of explaining this, and I could tell he was sort of, you know, as part of the culture there, and it's kind of interesting. But then he said this, I thought this was even more interesting. He said, that crow, they call that crow the, uh, the sentinel crow, because he's keeping watch 
And he said that if that crow doesn't warn the others and they're attacked, the surviving crows will kill that crow. Like that's how serious this is and sort of how, you know, animal instinctive it is. They just know this. So if that one is asleep at the, on the, on the, at the job and they get attacked, they go after him. The sentinel crow. His job is real simple, is to warn and protect. And if he doesn't, he pays. Sound a little familiar? Um, this first reading we just heard, Old Testament prophet Ezekiel, he says, this is God speaking to this prophet. And hey, when God is speaking to a prophet, he's speaking to us. So these words are meant for us. He says, I have appointed you watchmen. When you hear me say anything, you shall warn them for me. If you don't, if you don't discourage the wicked from their way, I'll hold you responsible. I'll hold you responsible. So if you don't protect, if you, don't, if you fail to protect the crows, we'll, we'll be responsible. If nobody's talking, if nobody's warning the crows, the kids, ourselves, each other, if we fail to speak out and warn others when bad stuff is happening, dangerous stuff is happening, and then they stumble because nobody ever told them, it'll be on you. It'll be on each of us because we didn't protect them and we didn't warn them. I think we should sit with that for a bit. So like, we're all supposed to be sentinel crows. We should be on the lookout for that which is dangerous and not good for the people we love. And we need to tell them, we need to warn them. And if we don't, well, bad stuff's gonna happen to them. They're gonna make mistakes and really bad stuff's gonna happen to us because we were asleep at the switch. You know, I was uh, last, uh, I guess, February during the, right after, maybe either right before or right after the Super Bowl, I was reading this article about the Super Bowl and it was just talking about how it's over the course of the years, what has it been, like 50-something years now of a Super Bowl, uh, it's just become this massive event. Like it's just taken on epic proportions. It talked about the TV ratings and the commercials and the parties and some people pushing that we should have a national holiday the day after because everybody, nobody wants to go to work the next day. It's a Sunday night and everybody's up and out and partying. And it's not even a national, it's like a global reality. Anyway, in this article, it talked about what they call this kind of like a throwback dynamic. 
And what they said was this, what the Super Bowl does is it kind of creates like a, like a unique community. Because on this one day, in the course of these few hours, pretty much everybody is connected. Like we're, we're watching the same thing, we're listening to the same thing, we're together for the same reason. Like, nobody goes to the movies on Super Bowl Sunday. I mean, unless you're like a nerd who hates football or something. Like, nobody goes to, like, you, everybody, even if you don't like football, you, you're kind of at somebody's house or watching the game. So it's like this uniting thing. We're all focused. And the point of the article was that whole dynamic where, like, we were all kind of, like, focused on common stuff was way more common 50 years ago. And he gave the example of TV. How TV, like think about not even 50 years, well, like I don't know, 30 or 40 years ago. Remember there were only three networks? You know, CBS, NBC, ABC, Channel 2, Channel 4, Channel 7. You know, and then you had a couple of other, you know, 5 and 9 and 11. They were all kind of local syndications and all. But you had these three, that was it. Like the three networks were the only show, you know, networks that kind of produced TV shows. So they were like, there was just less to watch. Now it's like, there's like, you got like 400 channels on your cable box. Like, everybody's not watching the same few shows because there's so many to choose from. Remember like, you know, you had these, we had these moments. Remember when, uh, if you're old enough, remember when, remember the last epi episode of MASH? It was like the whole world watched the final episode of MASH. The last episode of Seinfeld, I remember that. I've always heard about, you know, when, when Lucy, back in the 50s, when she gave birth to, to Ricky, like, everybody, though, like, they gave, like, the percentages of people in the country that watched that show that Monday night, everybody watched it. So everybody was getting, like, the same message, whatever the message was. You know, I was, <laughs> a couple of months ago, uh, I was down at Ignatius, and it was a, just a kind of a busy day and kind of, a, uh, kind of an aggravating day. It was just like a lot of stuff going on, and it was whatever. It was kind of a, just one of those days, and, uh, and I knew I had a kind of a crazy night coming. So around f 5 o'clock, I just, I was like, I, I'm getting out of here. And I just went up to my room, and I was like, I got to just escape for a little bit. Every day is not like that, but this day was, and... Uh, I turn on the TV and I'm just clicking around and uh, the Andy Griffith show was coming on. And I was like, oh, like, yeah, I, I, need, I need Mayberry right now. So I was like, I'm just tuning everything else out and I'm gonna watch this episode. And it was, uh, the name of it was Opie and the Spoiled Kid. That was the title of the show. And uh, anyway, it's about this kid who's friend of Opie's and he's a spoiled brat. He gets whatever he wants. He totally knows how to manipulate his parents. He, uh, he, he gets an allowance and doesn't have to do any work for it. When he wants something and he's, and, he, and he's not getting it, he just pulls a temper tantrum, flops on the ground, starts pounding the floor, screaming, and his parents just fold. And he completely manipulates his parents. And he gets, he's driving around the coolest bike in town. He gets what he wants. And Opie's looking at this like, oh man, I want that. I want to be like, I want to get with this kid. So Opie starts trying to, he starts pulling that with Andy Taylor, Andy Griffith. And it's like, he's clearly not having any of that. So the, the show concludes with this sort of this confrontation between Andy and the father, this father who's spoiling his son. And they clash. 
And then finally, the father, the, the guy who's doing the spoiling, realizes, man, I got like this brat, this big obnoxious little brat on my hands, and I need to start to create some structure and some discipline, and I need to say no. And this all happened in like, what, what, what's a, a half-hour sitcom, like 23 minutes or 22 minutes? And they cleaned it up and wrapped it up. But it was crazy. I was listening, I was watching, I was thinking, it was like a little parable. It was like a parable about like how to be a good parent and how to not be a stupid parent. Like the right ways of raising kids. All in this silly little show. And I looked up the show, I, I, I was thinking about that, and I, and I, I Googled, uh, that episode was 1963. 1963, the Andy Griffith Show was the, the fifth most popular show for the entire year. So that night, whenever that show aired, a lot of people watched that episode. And they got a good message. It's like the Super Bowl thing. Like, a lot of people were tuning in and they heard something, and it was just whole this little thing about how to be a good parent and how to not spoil your kid. Like, that's a good thing. Like, we were kind of like being taught. The culture kind of supported good values. I'd say it even supported like Christian values. Hey, mom and dad, you guys are the primary educator in values and faith. Not me, not the church, not some priest or nun or religious ed office, it's you guys. They're gonna know who Jesus is or not because of you. But it's also nice to hear, hear from some other voices who are kind of affirming those values. And 60 years ago, most of our TV shows kind of did it. Not, not explicitly Christian, but just like good moral principles. So it helped. I mean, today it's like, ah, oh, I think it's like the opposite. So much of what we watch today is like, is not good. It's not about what we believe in. Hey, I'm not saying everything back then was great. You know what I Googled too? I said 1965. What were the top 10 shows? Andy Griffith was number five. You know what was number one? Um, the Beverly Hillbillies. Like, <laughs> one of the dumber shows of all time probably. So I'm not saying it was all high art and high quality and all, you know, it wasn't, it was whatever. But some of it was good. And a lot of us were watching it, watching it, and, you know, I, I, and, and, and watching the reruns years later. So it's like this crow, this crow that's warning and teaching and protecting. This is good. This is the way we should be. Raise your kids this way, not that way. You know, I was given, uh, I guess about a year ago, I was giving a talk to a, out in a parish out in Suffolk. It was uh, parents, parents of kids who were making their confirmation. Probably about 50, 50 or 60 parents were there. And I'm just talking about how faith is really important and sacraments matter. And it seems to me kids who were raised with faith are sort of have, have, a, have, have more going for them. They've got the, the reality of faith. It's a support system versus kids where that's not really a part of their lives. Anyway, doing all that. And I gave a couple of examples. Uh, I talked about technology, the phone. And just the, some of the scary things we're seeing more and more about kids and technology, all of us in technology, but kids totally, like addicted to their phone and all that, that involves that. And I was saying how, uh, I said, hey, if you've got like a 12-year-old 
or a 14 year old, which they did, and you're letting them bring their phone to bed with them at night, you're crazy. Don't do that. There is no reason why your 14 year old needs a phone in their room at night. No good is gonna come of that. You're gonna feed the beast. You're just, you're, you're enabling this kid to become more and more dependent on unhealthy stuff. Not to mention some of the crazy stuff that he or she could be consuming and be watching. Like, take it away. They don't need it. And you know what? You'll know if your kid's got a problem or not because when you take it away, if his head explodes when you tell him no phone overnight, you'll know, okay, I think my kid's got a little bit of a problem. So I was, I was pretty strong about it because we're seeing, like this isn't even theoretical anymore. We know the effects of this stuff and we know the parents aren't really, they don't know what to do. They can see their kid like becoming socially clueless, sitting at a dinner table, having company over, and like not even engaging people, and they're kind of reading their phone under the table. Like they're seeing this stuff, but they don't know how to say no. Anyway, I was like pretty strong about it. And then I gave it, I told them, hey, I, live, I said I live down here in Long Beach. And I was like, hey, it's a great place to live. It's a beach town. It's just very, you know, it's beach town. It's kind of more casual. And I said that, uh, I was in the car one day, I was on Park Avenue at a light, and I saw this group of about five or six kids uh, leaving, coming north, leaving, I guess, the beach, and they were in uh, bathing suits. They were like maybe freshmen, sophomores in high school, guys and girls, and I kind of couldn't believe what they were wearing, or kind of what they were not wearing. Um, it was like, not good. Like, it was like, oof, you shouldn't be walking that way, even on the beach. I would have said, I don't know about that. But walking around town, I was like, that's not good. And you talk about this, and you're afraid to, everybody's afraid to talk about it. But now you sound like a, well, you're a creepy old man who's like looking at, looking at people on the, you know, not dressed properly. You know what? It wasn't good. And I was thinking, man, did anybody ever say to, say to those kids, like, hey, you don't dress that way? Like the notion of modesty. The whole concept of modesty, like, had these kids ever heard that? Like, you shouldn't present yourself in a way where you're gonna be seen as an object of somebody's lust. That's not good stuff. We know, we know what teenagers are like. We know what teenage boys are like. Like, come on. Like, is anybody, is, are there any crows up, 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 up in the water tower saying, mm, not a good thing. We need to talk about this. I need to prepare you for life. Well, we kind of asleep at the switch. And this guy, Ezekiel, is saying, you better wake up. Because when bad stuff happens, and it was because you kept your mouth shut, you'll pay the price. And somebody said to me, and, I, and I've heard a version of this question recently, uh, a lot recently, and it was a person saying to me, uh, Told about going to church. They were like, "Hey, is it is it a is it a sin not to go to church anymore?" And the way she asked it is, it was almost like she was saying, "Like, have, have the has the rule changed? Or like, did I miss a memo somewhere along the way?" Like, and I was like, "No. I mean, yes, it's we're supposed to go to church. We don't have nine commandments. We got ten commandments. Like, we didn't lose one of them. Like, yes, we're supposed to go." 
And she was like, yeah, I, I kind of knew that, but like people around me are like, it seems like nobody doesn't go anymore. They go here and there. And if any, any excuse is a legitimate excuse, if it gets in the way of going to church. And I was like, I know, I know. I mean, it, it's, we've shifted our priorities in kind of weird ways, not good ways. She said to me, well, how did that happen? And I was like, this is a really good question. How did it happen? Like, what, what has changed? Why do we kind of think that? This was like a, a sincere question on this woman's part. Like, who's to blame? There's probably a lot of blame to go around. You know, it's not a Mayberry culture anymore, right? So we don't have the culture kind of implicitly supporting things that we believe in. So part of it's cultural. I think part of it is family stuff. Like we've, we've just sort of, you know, busyness has become almost like a virtue. So if, if, if busy gets in the way of, of, of church, that's a kind of okay. It's not okay. That's not, that's not right. The church, ton of blame to go with the church. You know, there was a time, I'm told, when the church used to talk an awful lot about right and wrong and sin and virtue and the need to go to church. Some say, yeah, we probably talked too much about it in the old days. Well, then we swung the other way and we kind of never really talk about it. Why would, we, why would somebody who's alive here and now think that maybe we changed the teaching, probably because the church isn't talking enough about it. So there's a lot to blame to go around. And, you know, we can spend time just blaming why things have changed, or we can say, let's get back in the fight and let's retrieve maybe some of what we lost. We've stopped the warning. We've stopped warning the crows about danger. We've become, I think, too quiet. We've flown away from the, the water tower. And that's where we're supposed to be. So fly back. <laughs>